HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by greatbrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's February 25th, 2014. I'm here with Dave Broderick from Blind Tiger and Worthy Burger. How are you, Dave? Good, Jimmy. How are you doing? Good. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. And Dave and I have been planning this will be our third year working together on the New York City Brewer's Choice. So uh, that's coming up tomorrow, and many of you, by the time you listen to this, it will have passed. But if, if you're listening live, it's tomorrow night at the White Hotel in Brooklyn. Are there still some tickets left? There are. There's, there's about 50 tickets left. Uh, we, we, we worked it out so that there's still, you'll still be able to buy them until tomorrow. So we've kind of held some back. That's great. And how many people are going to be there tomorrow night? Uh, we, it's a new venue. We used to be a city winery. This is uh, at the White Hotel. have about 300 tickets plus guests and press and uh, the brewers. The brewers is the big story. I mean, really, I mean, you're, you've been a big part of helping to curate it, Dave, the last few years. Um, are there any brewers that on that list that, that you'd like to mention? Well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of new ones, which is pretty incredible. I mean, we've got uh, Grim Artisanal. Uh, we've got uh, Bridge and Tunnel is new to it, Big Alice. Um, there, there's, there's probably like eight or nine new breweries from the New York City area uh, that are brand new to it. And plus Pro Pig, which isn't even on this list, which is coming down from Vermont. Yeah, that's one of your specials, right? Yeah, well, there's going to be at the Blind Tiger table, so... I had to give him a plug. Yeah, so you're bringing down. I mean, you're really based in Vermont now, so it's it's a, it's a different Dave Broderick. But you, you know, so so it's Chad Rich, Prohibition Pig. Correct. So he's actually putting in a brewery as well. He's staying. He sent me a text. I think he sent it to a lot of people a text, a picture of all his kegs in his hotel room at the Wythe Hotel last night. He said it was just like college. <laughs> Six small logs <laughs> in his shower. Well, what was cool is that you know the last few years it went from being. The first year, I think we had you know brewers from uh, Ballast from all, Point, yeah, from all had, over. You know, two brothers. We had it was really a wide range of brewers, and last year it was almost all New York State. When uh, Scott Vaccaro gave the keynote speech from Captain Lawrence, right, and, right. Th- and that's what he talked about. And this year, what what's going on is that uh, our friends at Grow NYC have a thing called the Regional Grain Project, 
and uh, they reached out to us about six months ago, and Kelly Taylor from Kelso was, was talking to them. So we want to do a, a beer event with a New York State Grain Malt, and we said, why don't we do that for Brewer's Choice? So the, the challenge is we, we had a, they had farmers growing special grains, like emmer and some, some other traditional grains, and uh, they had Valley Malt do most of the malting and, and communicating with all the brewers. So uh, it, it's been a long process for a lot of people, but, yeah. but I know Jeff Jeff O'Neill's here from Peakskill. He's our keynote speaker tomorrow night. Jeff, tell us a little about that pro- that process because you you jumped right in and you made some special batches of beer. Well, just we made just one, uh, but strictly with New York State uh, ingredients, uh, all the way hops, uh, malt, um, a yeast that I think of as a New York yeast, and also a, a local wild uh, whatever lactobacillus that we used in the souring in the brew house. So we, we had a really interesting um, experience with the with the ingredients. So what was different about it? Well, they um, they're slightly different than the than the stuff you know you're used to. The the, the, um, the malt definitely had a lot of character, and we were really trying to make a, a, a unique beer, like a sour beer, um, and incorporating the hops uh, of sort of unknown. And the specification is is tricky sometimes, um, but I think we did it. We did a good job. And we have a really uh, intense uh, sour beer that I'm really excited to to debut tomorrow. So tell us the name of that beer. It's called <coughs> the Aristocrats. I wish <laughs> I wish everybody out there could have seen that. Then you would totally understand. You might understand anyway. Anyway, hopefully. But I mean, what, what grains did, did you work with? We used uh, a pale malt and a rye malt, and we did a, a mash souring and a kettle souring programs uh, in parallel over a weekend. So we had really low pH uh, after 72 hours uh, of holding at, uh, you know, around body temperature. Um, and then we loudered, and we actually used our cool ship in our brewery for uh, overnight cooling before we, sent the, before we sent the beer to fermentation. So that, that was a, a totally new process for you? Yeah, it was a new way to use our physical plant uh, to, to, I think, good effect. That's pretty cool, isn't it, Dave? I mean, you've you've met met so many brewers over the years, and uh, I mean, it's it's pretty cool that this event is able to help people innovate. Right? Yeah, just to try different things, and and I've been up to Peakskill um, Brewing and and seeing his cool ship, and and seeing. Uh, I mean, he was like the first time I went up there, he was like a kid in a candy store, like with all his new equipment and stuff, and just watching how it just seemed different. You know, there was like some really cool stuff going on up there, and he had all kinds of cool toys. So. Uh, yeah, and it's nice to get to see him use them in different ways. It's fun that it's that it's so versatile. But what I wanted to to throw in was that you all facilitated the brewers getting together with Valley Malt, um, and you know almost everybody I know jumped right on board. We had some, I had some great dialogues with other brewers about how to approach it, uh, about what they were doing. Nobody wanted to do the same thing as as anybody else. So, um, you know, some of us that are that are close talked about. What, what we're going to do before well, this, we... this is a big show. We, we have a, a grain farmer coming on. We have, we have Valley Malt coming on. We have uh, June Russell from Growing NYC who help, has been a real big part of this regional grains project. So this show is kind of about the grains and malt and things. And also, Augie Carton's here from Hello. Carton. Augie, what do you think about uh, Jeff's new experimental uh, beer technique? Um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's not new. It's, it's, we do a couple <laughs> beers that way. Um, I... It's, I haven't been up yet. I've been trying to make it there, but that's tough. But my brewing partner, Jesse, did go up, and he basically came home with a Christmas list of things I needed to get for us to brew with. And one of them is this cool ship, which definitely would be fun to play with in this mode of Well, you brewing. guys got one of those Hopnicks, didn't you? We, we, we did. We, we, have, we call it a rocket, but I yeah. think they call it a bullet. Why don't you guys translate for me? 
Um, it's a cold side hopback, so basically when the beer is completely done, you can degas it and just add more and more hops. Rather than just dumping them in the tank, you can pump through pellets. It's it's a fun new toy. You know, we got, we got Meredith and Haley from uh, Bearded Ladies here. Are you guys are you guys familiar with the brewing process that they're talking about? Uh, yeah, I'm familiar from a consumer side. Yeah, exactly. From <laughs> consuming a lot of it. <laughs> Happily. And what but about yeah, you, Dave? I, uh, does it, does, definitely, yeah. Do you understand what they're talking about, Dave? Oh, do I understand? Yeah. Yeah, you do. Yeah. So why, why I, don't I, you only, explain only to me what... Only because I've seen it. <laughs> explain to me what the, what they're talking about. They're, they're blasting the beer through hops after it comes out. Well, to be fair, we're talking about two different things. That's my new toy. His new yeah, toy sorry. introduces... Um, Wild lactobacillus, yeast, which is a bacteria, really, that causes a sourness, which it works in yogurt, it works in sauerkraut, it works in salami, and if you encourage it, it'll work in your beer, and that's what he did. We do it on other beers, but this beer sounds like he really did it. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> he called it very primitive. It's a primitive. It's a primitive style of beer, which sounds great. I, I can't wait. Is it like something like a gruet or a no? No, it's certainly rec- it's certainly recognizable as as beer in the context of a of a sour uh, blonde or golden colored beer, um, but it's uh, it's unique. You know, Jeff, you, you, people really look up to you as a brewer in New York, and I know you were at Ithaca for a long time, and you started in California, but you actually started at uh, the Siebel Institute in Chicago, right? No, I'm a, I'm a Siebel graduate. Yeah, Siebel graduate. Yeah. yeah, but I started brewing before before I did that uh, in the in the Bay Area. So what what was your process? I mean, when did you first make beer? Uh, in college, uh, home brewing in college, and then it was a you know a bug that I caught. Um, uh, I lived in this house in San Francisco that had a perfect. Uh, Environment, you know, constant sixty-seven degree basement with a floor drain and a laundry sink, and I got carried away as a hobbyist. <laughs> um, there's a shop, there's a homebrew shop uh, in the East Bay called uh, More Beer, and they are, have sort of uh, moved to the top of the food chain of homebrew suppliers, and they they built, uh, you know, real sort of pro style equipment for homebrewers. And I bought one of their first uh, cylinder conical tanks, um, and I, I really I got carried away and. Uh, it became a you know an unhealthy obsession really, and and my then girlfriend now lovely wife uh, kind of kicked me in the butt and said get a job in a brewery because I don't want to hear about it here anymore. <laughs> I'll tell you this is if you want to see a Jeff O'Neill smile, he's smiling right now when he tells a story. No, <laughs> let's let's keep let's go back to the past. This is awesome. No, let's move on. I mean, really for real, because we're trying to get a little more perspective on you. You know, you, you're a technical master, and people really love your beers, but. You know, so what was the scene like when you first started? I mean, what kind of beers were you first making? Well, I, you know, I started in the in the Bay Area where it was the cradle of IPAs. Um, you know, Racer Five was a new beer when I was when I was first becoming a brewer. I worked at the first uh, brew pub that was in San Francisco, the Twenty Tank. So, uh, you know, well, wonderful, so many wonderful people place. came out of Twenty Tank. Yeah, yeah, and we're all still like uh, still you know, loosely affiliated. Yeah. Um, after that, I worked at Drake's, which is a you know well known East Bay uh, brewer that specializes mm-hmm. in hoppy beers. Um, and then uh, we moved to Ithaca in 2002. And Did you work with a guy? Was it Roger Davis? Roger Davis is a good, yeah. good old friend of mine, yeah. Yeah, we, we've had him on the show before. Yeah, he just opened his place in Alameda, Faction Brewing. Yeah, I'm really excited to try uh, to try some of his beers ASAP. In fact, he and I just traded some, uh, some hops. You know that he bought, uh, talking about New York beers, his system was, wasn't it uh, Captain Lawrence's system, I think? Jeff. Yeah, he bought he the original. Out. Yep, he, um, oh, that's right. Yeah, he can't. Oh, because yeah, I, I saw him at the tire right when he bought it. Yeah, it's one of these small, small world things. Um, the guy, when I left Drake's, 
uh, a, a guy started there named Josh Miner. Um, it turned out that Josh was Scott Vaccaro's roommate at UC Davis. Um, Roger and Josh ran Drake's for, for a few years. Roger got to know Scott. Um, I've known Roger for like, I don't know, a dozen years or so. A really great brewer. Um, everybody's really excited about what he's doing. He's making, uh, from what I can tell, really distinctive. But it's uh, cool. So, so he came here to buy the old Captain Lawrence system. And he, yeah, he, he drove it all the week. way back. Yep. Well, no, I mean, he had it, he had it you know, shipped out there. Uh, it was stored here for a little while, I think, while he was working out his place. But he's got this place. and uh, I hope you appreciate all these uh, this plug, Roger. Um, <laughs> it's it's on the island, island of Alameda, right next door to um, the distillery, St. George uh, Spirits, and Rockwall Winery. So they've got like a little uh, fermentation row there. Of, yeah. And places with a lot of well, space. The, la- and the last great time we talked to him, the, he was having trouble getting uh, his, whatever, the feds to, to finish yeah, I think, his license. I think he started yeah. brewing around Thanksgiving. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. He's been doing some pretty cool stuff. I've, just, I've only seen the, the styles that he's making. Right. The, the, right. You know, and you met crazy. he and Claudia. Yeah, that right. night. So I'm right just trying to show the all the, the, the special connections that are going on, especially with NYC Brewer's Choice tomorrow, because one reason it's so important is that it's really the, the brewers coming, making special beers, mm. and it's really like the brewer's party. And um, I'm looking forward to it. And as if our listeners may realize, it's been Beer Week in New York since Friday, so I think that I've been to at least two events a night since Friday, and uh, my mind's a little slow today. Did you go to the opening? I heard the opening night was great. I didn't do that. I actually did something different. I'm doing my I'm doing my own beer week this week. I went on Friday night I was actually in this room at Harry's Road Network. I sat in on the the cheese show, cutting the curd, and I did a a, a really cool beer and food pairing with this guy, George Blaze from Italy, who knows a lot about pairings. He does he's a charcuterie and cheesemonger. At Italy and, and Ann Saxby, and it was really cool. I'm like, you know, I'm doing. We had a homebrew come in on on, on Sunday. Zock, he's got a store in uh, Willimantic, Connecticut, and he came in and, and, and tasted us on like twelve of his award winning homebrews. Well, he's a dedicated homebrew, yeah. Right. So I'm just trying to. And we had a beer dinner last night with uh, no one of your fog. Yeah, Wandering <laughs> Star, Rushing Duck, and uh, and uh, this author Peter Kaminsky, Bacon Nation. We did a five course bacon dinner. And talking about beer and food pairings, this is what I think we're, we're trying to touch on is all the special things that, that happen in this world of beer and beer week. But Augie uh, took me out to uh, 11 Madison Park a couple weeks ago because he's got an awesome pairing on the menu there, right? Yeah, we make we make a beer called Decoy, which is kind of a deconstruction of a dish they make. They have this five-spice duck that they plate with fruit. And the last time I'd had that dish three years ago, it was figs. And then I was drinking this very figgy Belgi quad with my brewing partner, Jesse. And we said, if we took the yeast out but kept the fig notes in and five-spiced it, what would it taste like? And we call it a decoy. And we make it, they keep it, and you can go in there and get it with the duck. And it just it's kind of that pretty pairing and redundancy rather than contrast. So i got to spend $200 to get that beer. No. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I don't know what they charge for the beer. The duck is not. I can just get that at the bar. Yeah, but it's, get the duck at the bar. It's we really, made at the bar. You know, it's cool that you're doing these beer and food pairings. And uh, Jeff, anything like that going on with you guys? I mean, you're, you're bringing some food tomorrow. Uh, yep, we're going we're gonna to do two dishes to uh, match our two beers. Um, I know Chef is working on that today, actually. Um, and we did a two uh, course, uh, two actual seatings of dinner at uh, Murray's Cheese Bar last night, which was just outstanding. They're, they really killed it with the food. What are some of the dishes that you guys make at Peak School? Oh, well, we do a lot of in-house charcuterie, um, and we do a lot of you know um, 
you know, high end, high end pub fare, uh, rich, rich dishes. A lot of focus on Hudson Valley uh, meats and produce, cheese. We do actually, we do all of our cheese service from uh, from Murray's. So we have a really interesting back and uh, you know reciprocal relationship. Yeah, uh, Meredith and Haley, you guys give a quick shout out because I know you have an event that you want to promote. We do. We do, yeah. So uh, on Friday, we're doing an event at Glorietta Baldi, which is the Wiley Brothers' new joint over on Franklin and Fulton in Brooklyn. Um, it's called Women in Beer First, and it's celebrating the women of craft beer. And it actually, a bunch of the breweries that are going to be on hand tomorrow are going to be there as well, like Grimm, because uh, Lauren is an awesome, awesome female brewer. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. There's just going to be brewers on hand, total lady brewed tap takeover, uh, 8 p.m. on. Yep. Lots of ladies. Lots of ladies there. So And beer. And beer. And bearded right. ladies. And bearded ladies. Well, you guys, thanks for coming on. We'll take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This track's called Cool Boy by Sleepies. And this is Beer Sessions Radio on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Jimmy Carboni with Dave Broderick here uh, talking about New York City Beer Week, New York City Brewer's Choice. And uh, it's been a cool experience this year. You know? It, yeah, a lot more. Yeah. Each year it gets more complicated and, and uh, the emails chains get longer and and uh, more interesting. It used to be we just depended on you, like, getting all your brewery contacts. Yeah, it used to be really easy. Now it's just like it goes on and on and on. But this it's amazing how many breweries have opened not even just New York City, but in New York State in the last few years. Yeah, like I, I go back to nineteen late nineties, and there were gosh, I think there were about twenty breweries in Manhattan alone, and uh, I, th- you know, there was Brooklyn Brewery, Bru- Brooklyn Brewery in Brooklyn, and now it's it's it's, and then they all went out of business except for Brooklyn and and uh, Heartland, and now there's we're back up to probably getting close to twenty, and they're in all the boroughs. Which is just a huge change. Oh, that's amazing. And Jeff, what did you bring? Uh, Jeff from Jeff O'Neill from Pixco. What what beer are we drinking right now? I brought a pale ale that we have out around the city for the week for Beer Week. It's called NYPA, and it's uh, it's a beer that we don't add any hops to until we're done uh, boiling. We start doing heavy hop additions, but not any until we're done uh, boiling the wort. Um, we do a big addition in our whirlpool, um, then up in our cool ship, and then a lot of dry hopping. Um, so it's one of those. Uh, Sort of new new ways of uh, driving a flavor and aroma out of out of ingredients. It's, it's really nice. It's yeah. really good. Yeah, it's really low low alcohol and easy easy drinking. How was that? I know for the GABF, you won an award for the Amaze Balls. Amaze Balls. They're sort of cousin beers. It's, so like it's the same. It's the same approach. Yeah. Pale ales. Yeah. It's great. Well, now come in the studio now. Uh, kind of the whole 
you know, onus behind this, the Brewer's Choice this year is there's a thing called the Regional Grains Project. And uh, it's June Russell's in the house from Grow NYC. Uh, Tor, who I can't – Tor, you got to say your last name too. Oshner. Tor Oshner, <laughs> who's a, a, a grains farmer from upstate. And Christian and Andrew are from Valley Malt. So there's a whole cycle here that, that uh, June reached out to us last year and said, you know, we want to do an event with uh, regional grains that are, that are going to be malted and the brewers would make beer. And uh, so, June, give us a little background on the regional grains project because it's kind of like the basis of beer is malt, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. We're fans of hops, but we've been saying for a while, like, beer's made from grain. Where's the grain in the mix when we talk about local beer? So we're excited to get to the to the place where there's any volume for folks to work with. And as Tor, we've been working with Tor for at least four years, maybe five years. Tor also is one of the main growers for Farmer Ground Flour. So other fans of local grains, you've been having Tor's um, food for quite a while now. Um, and it, just to get to the capacity, things that you guys have talked about on the show, um, getting appropriate seed to grow in the region, and uh, farmers who know how to grow those grains and, and the infrastructure, such as the malting facilities, which uh, Andrew and Christian um, finally entered into in 2010. And so all of these things have been part of the grains project, which began when we were looking for local flour for our bakers, but then also realized that to get any sort of capacity for our growers to have you know, marketable product, it would take everybody involved in the grain sector. And um, so that includes bakers, chefs, uh, distilleries, and now breweries. Um, barley is probably lagged behind just a little bit in terms of the development for varieties in the region, but it's happening, and we're going to taste some tomorrow, so we're pretty excited. Tor, what are some of the grains that you're growing, in particular traditional grains that, that are being malted uh, for beer? Yeah, we... Um in terms of the stuff that we're growing for malting, basically uh, rye, uh, wheat, and barley are the the three things that we sell to Valley Malt to be to be malted into beer. Um, and we're a certified organic producer, so we also grow corn and oats and buckwheat, um, some spelt and emmer as well. Uh, so we have a variety of crops that we work with. But in terms of beer, those would be the main ones. So what are some of the challenges of growing grain in the Northeast as opposed to where it mostly comes from? Yeah, I mean, these are some of the problems that I think New York State will run into in terms of expanding the, the particularly in organic production. I mean, I, I run into this early because I started a flour mill and some of the same quality issues that you want in terms of a good uh, grain for for milling into flour, the same sort of problems you can get into for grains for malting. So, um, and one of the big problems that we've got is uh, because of the humid, wet weather, there's a, a disease called fusarium that gets into the grains and can cause vomitoxin, which uh, makes it un- like unedible. Make, it doesn't yeah, sound it, good. It's a very pretty <laughs> sounding thing. Uh, so, that can only be one part per million in the grain. We have to get that tested. Um, and there's some cultural things that I've figured out to do in terms of crop rotation, sequencing, using uh, crops that are biofumigants without going on too long about this that have helped me as an organic farmer to 
produce these crops without a lot of vomitoxin problems uh, and harvest management. Tor, one second. Just, you know, yeah. Our other guests, the Valley Malt guys, want a, a, a glass of beer. That's why, <laughs> that's why we're on there. And they're all drinking the Peak's Kill. It's delicious. What's it called? The NY, NYPA. NYPA. Yeah. So I'm, I'm only going to talk to Tor because we may have said more than we've ever heard about grains <laughs> on the show ever. All right. Yeah, How about if we just, let's segue, let's, yeah. let's have uh, our brewers, uh, Jeff and Augie, to say a few things about Grains or malts, and, and and you know how the challenges of working with something new or un, you know, unknown, perhaps. Did, did you guys make a make a beer for tomorrow? We were kind of the Jersey-headed stepchild of of the grain thing, but uh, but you know how I'm always making the the similes to to cuisine. I, I find it's real easy when I'm talking about this stuff to non-beer people to say malts are your your protein or your main. Right, so that's what you're building on. Say it's a chicken. Think of that as like pilsner malts, and then you got your yeast, which is kind of your regional stamp. So, say you're doing cilantro and cumin. Now you're Mexican. Say you're doing fenugreek and cumin. Now you're Indian. That's your yeast, and then your hops, your herbs, and you sprinkle them on top. So if you put it in early and cook it, you got a little green. You put it on late, you got you know a little chlorophyll contrast. But it's all what you're building on, and and it actually is pretty easy to think of as those proteins right your white malts or your white meats and your dark malts or your dark meats you can go bigger and bolder on dark okay did you ever write poetry no but i drink a lot um, <laughs> i'm gonna give a high five to Augie. that was pretty cool i want some i want He's some fen- irish poet fenugreek in my you know my beer it's it's but, the fact of poet right and jeff what about you what's defective. the malt and grain thing for you the malt and grain thing well so yeah it's the backbone um for us, we're small and we're, we're agile, so we can do a lot of That's how we differentiate our beers from each other. Um, every beer has a different base malt uh, in our brewery, um, which I think uh, helps to, to keep it, you know, really uh, bright, shiny so like lines of, between of, the beers. Of the beers that we know, like, just want to tell us the base malts? So like with sure the three beers, uh, the three yeah. beers that we send out to uh, to, to local Mirror, distribution. Yeah. Uh, uh, Eastern Standard IPA, which is our flagship, that's made with a, with a Vienna malt. I'm not going to tell you which one. Um, it's actually not a Vienna malt. It's a, but there are pale. some trade it's a, secrets. It's a pale, yeah, it's, a, it's an in-between uh, pills and Vienna uh, malt. Um, Simple Sour is, is, a, is a much more pale uh, base malt. It's pills. It's got some, uh, some other adjuncts in it, uh, corn and, and wheat and um, uh, some, some other things. Um, <laughs> and then uh, Hop Common, which is the, uh, the beer that they have on here at Roberta's, um, is a German is a German Vienna malt, which is a much a much more characterful. Uh, so what's what's funny is when so many brewers have a certain hop, they'll always say, "Oh, we're using this hop." But you actually, for your grains, you're saying you kind of have a secret recipe. Well, I, I wouldn't call it a secret, but it might not be what I want to talk about on the air. <laughs> you know. No, it's cool. And then we got Christian. And I should I should say um, when I make what I think of as American style beers, I like to use. American ingredients. Um, when we make beers, that are, the jumping off point is a more um, historic thing. We try to use the, the appropriate ingredients where, where necessary. So when we make American IPA, we try to use American-grown ingredients exclusively. When we make American-style sour, I like the idea of American ingredients. When we're doing something that's more um, malt-forward or more old-world, uh, that, that's a, it a, it's becomes a more more crucial part of the, of the beer. Awesome. Uh, we also have uh, Andrea and Christian from Valley Mall to the other piece. We have Gra- Regional Grains Project, the, the grain farmer, the brewers, and the people that actually make the malt, Andrea and Christian. 
Uh, we've had you on before, but just say a few things. We're going to have more time to talk to you, but say a few things about this project that we did for New York City Brewers' Choice. Andrea, come on. Well, I'd just like to say uh, it's nice to be in the room here, and this beer is delicious. Are these Cascade hops? No, it's actually um, uh, two newer varieties, uh, Citra and Mosaic. Okay. But they're both from... Oh, a, Mosaic. I love They're mosaic. both from a particular farm okay. that, that we do direct business with, and yeah. uh, I, I chose these lots of hops out okay. there in Yakima last fall. Okay. So it's sort of that important relationship between where it's from and, and you know, how, how it's been handled and the whole chain of custody between the field and the and the brew house. And Mosaic's the sluttiest hop. Mm-hmm. Oh, you get a talk off. <laughs> I said, "A mosaic's the sluttiest hop ever." It's just trying to make everybody at the party happy, and it's really nailing it. That's all. What, what, what's <laughs> one word to describe mosaic? Slutty. Slutty. But you don't like that word. <laughs> all right, Andrew, quick. Malt. So I would working say. With Tours, how about working with Tours grains? Yeah. And then what you did with the malt and well, things like. That. Give the mic to Tor. Tor, what is your nickname for me? Stalker, babe. <laughs> So I had to stalk Tor because Wait, that, he's... Wait, was it slutty? No, that was... <laughs> yeah. Stalker, not slutty. Okay. Yeah. My husband's right here, actually. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, no, I had to stalk Tor. I met him at a green conference, and I just knew in listening to how he spoke about what he did for a living that he really cared. And if I wanted to malt something that was world-class, that... I wanted to buy it from him. So, uh, you know, working with Tours Grains is fairly easy, I would say, because it's clean, it's beautiful. It's, uh, you know, a lot of times what happens, and, and this goes to June's point about a regional grain infrastructure, is that you can't just grow grains and expect to just sell to bakers, because if he's growing grain and we have a lot of rain, that wheat might not have the protein that a baker's going to need. But guess what? Low protein, I want it because that's what a brewer is going to want. So I become a secondary market for his wheat, which is amazing, but it might not meet the protein specs of a baker. But it will meet the protein specs of a maltster and a brewer. So this is where – and then having distillers in the picture, if there are particular issues that don't make it suitable for brewing – it might make it suitable for like a a very husky barley, a barley that has like a lot of tannins and a lot of husk. Perfect for whiskey, not so great for brewing. So this is where, you know, everybody getting on board and everybody seeing, you know, where they fit in really is the big picture, I think. So I would say that, you know, working with Tours Grains is a dream. It comes clean. It comes you know, without diseases like he was talking about and has wonderful germination, which is, you know, my job is to make sure that that grain can sprout and then we dry it down and we, you know, send it off to breweries so that they can uh, mill it and make wort out of it. Andrew, just give us a few words about your interaction with the brewer like Jeff. So you've got these different malls from different well, grains. How, yeah. would you, how do you sell it to him? Or is it like you guys I'm going to be collaborate? brutally honest. My interaction with Jeff this year was a little bit difficult because part of the malt that I sent him, some of it was really delicious and looked great. And some of it was a little off color and part of that was the growing season this year and and it was great jeff and i had a lot of really good exchanges and emails in terms of what was going on and why did this malt he get look darker it shouldn't look this dark and 
yes, it shouldn't look this dark if it's not coming from a commodity, you know, supplier. But for the growing year that we had this year, that's what which we was had very to work wet. with, which, which was, was very, very wet. wet. And so the grain had, you know, was off colored. And so you still brewed a great beer with it. I think so. Yeah. I think so, so. But you know, that's, part of the, but, that's part of doing it, right? But this it, is part of the transparency and the honesty and the communication that goes into, you know, we can't paint a picture that this is just perfect and, you know, awesome because it's hard and it's, it's real. challenging. It's like everything it's else, real. right? Yeah. So. I mean, Jeff, how often could you make, if, if you're getting special small batches of malt from New York State Grain, like how often could you make a new beer? Would you want to do it every month or only once a year? Well, it could be something we did seasonally. Like I think that our batch size is about 1,200 pounds, and that's what relative to your output? We do about 10,000 pounds a week right now. Um, how much of it is like one lot? That's uh, like what's a... Like a batch size for us, we turn around five batches a week, okay. basically, and a batch size for us is 2,000 2, pounds. Um, a ton. Yeah. yeah. Okay. David, any questions about malt? <laughs> no, I'm just taking all. No, yeah. Uh, I'm still I, thinking I'm hops, curious. but I'm, I'm drinking more malty beers lately. So. Well, I'm actually curious to ask Andrea, like, so how much of the grain that you're getting is coming from the Pioneer Valley from your area, um, and how far do you have to go? to satisfy your needs we go new england and new york is our is our regional area so we're buying from mostly from the finger lakes region of new york and then the pioneer valley and then occasionally we'll have a farmer call us from pennsylvania and they have a they grew barley and there's no malt house in pennsylvania and they ship us their barley and we malt it so that they can sell it to their local brewery so contract malting, I guess. And and so when you have a like this summer was brutal with with yep. uh, in terms of rain. Yep. And uh, and so what do you do then? You know when you when when locally you learn how to be a maltster, <laughs> which is really uh, you know I mean it's like you learn how to malt you know good stuff, but then you have to learn how to malt not so good stuff too. So it's where I'm learning over the you know this year I learned a lot about my craft, and luckily I have people to talk to malting science professors and stuff to say, you know, this is, I have this barley, it's giving me this issue. And luckily there's people out there willing to help me and say, Hey, you know, change your steep schedule and see if that helps and that sort of thing. So, but I mean, definitely growing both winter grains and spring grains gives a little bit of a, enough diversity there that you hope that one or the other will do okay. Yeah. And we also contracted about, uh, I think four times the amount of barley that we use this year. So, you know, we're putting it out there. We need a lot of barley, but then typically we only get a quarter or less of what we put out there, what we ask for back. And that, that barley might be like Andrea saying, we just do the best we can with that barley we've received. Hey, that's cool. We're going to keep talking about grains and malt and brewer's choice. We're back in a few minutes on beer sessions. This one's also by Sleepies. It's called Combat, and this is Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network.
So, you like good beer. Whether you're a craft beer pro or just had your first sip of an IPA, GreatBrewers.com is your number one beer resource on the internet. GreatBrewers.com bridges the gap between the world's great brewers and the consumers who enjoy their products. With so much information and misinformation out there, GreatBrewers.com focuses on education and leaves no stone unturned. Take the Great Beer Test on their website and browse through an extensive product catalog. Download their mobile beer cloud app, which includes a GPS beer finder, a beer sommelier, and descriptions for over 5,000 different brews. What are you waiting for? Back up that passion for craft beer with some solid information and education. Visit GreatBrewers.com today. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're out here at Roberta's in, in Bushwick, Brooklyn. We're drinking some Pisco Hop Common. I uh, had some, uh, was it Swizzler from... Uh, Swish, Carton Swisher, left. I think. Swisher from, from uh, Carton Brewing. There's a story was, behind it. What is the Swisher story? Ask Jeff. I can't believe it. That was Augie. I can't believe you just left it. Augie Carton was just then. It's it, it, very it, complex. You don't want to do it on the air. ready for Brewer's Choice for beer, New York City Beer Week. We got... Uh, our regional grains project. We've got grains, farmer, brewers, and uh, maltsters. Um, so, Jeff, you just asked a question. We had a conversation going uh, with the maltsters. Would you ask uh, Andrew that question again? Sure. Right I was here? curious about what the um, relative breakdown of brewers versus distillers as customers of theirs was. And I said about 50%. <laughs> so you think that brewers get the better grain and, and, and distillers are just kind of losers or what? <laughs> no, certainly certainly not. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, I just think it's interesting because craft distilling is in, in such a proliferation mode, and I know there are yeah. many new ones local to you now. I imagine that you might do business tour with uh, with some of the Finger Lakes distillers, right? Is that uh, correct? All over the yeah. all over actually Brooklyn distilling down here is my biggest customer. And you can sell to them raw some of the a lot of it. Yeah, I mean Brad Estabrook takes about five tons a week off of my farm to make into all oh, sorts great. of alcohol. That's so, yeah, he's a great guy. Jim, what are some of the other farms that, that you're working with on the Regional Grains Project? Um, well, there's a range of scales. There's um, there's some folks that are working with just a few acres, like Richard Giles of Lucky Dog Farms. He's working some grains into his rotations. Um, Klaus Martins, who's up near Tor, um, is like one of our like spiritual elders in the grains projects. And uh, his son, Peter Martins, has a farm now. I know that you, um, Valley Malt, you work with them. And we did the green market wheat beer using Peter's barley. Um, and there's there's a big range, a lot of uh, Amish growers in Pennsylvania. Like with the green market region, we go New Jersey, eastern Pennsylvania, New York up to the Finger Lakes, some of Vermont. Um, some of our collaborators are at the University of Vermont and uh, Cornell, of course, Snofa, Ogren. Um, and... Um, yeah, Tor probably knows. Um, you work with a lot of Andrea, grain growers. Who, in- else are, who else are you buying grain from besides Tor? Well, the guy sitting to the right of me. <laughs> <laughs> so Christian, you're, you're a grain farmer too? Yeah, I, I farm a little bit over uh, 100 acres, I think, now. It's going up as per phone calls on the way here, I think. <laughs> Right. It's interesting because a lot of times farmers will start off farming and then they figure out ways to add value to what they're growing to make money. And we started off malting and then decided that we wanted to grow grain. So now, you know, three years into it, we went from growing zero to growing 
hundred acres. So why aren't so. there more malt facilities in this region? Where's the grain? There's also what four or five opening up in New York or are in the process this year. I mean, I know of two in Western New York. Well, three in Western New York, one in Rochester, one right near Tor. So, I mean, there's a bunch opening up around, especially in New York with the farmer brewer law, farm distilling. I mean, New York is uh, probably, if you want to open a malt house, one of the best states to be in right now. Unfortunate for us, I guess, as Valley Malt in Massachusetts, but fortunate for New York state malt houses. But in a year like this year where there were four malt houses wanting to get started, a lot of them didn't don't have the grain to actually malt because it was such a bad year. So I guess that's where I say, where's the grain? Because that's that's part of it. It's the chicken or the egg. It's like, how does somebody feel comfortable venturing into buying all this equipment and starting a malt house if they don't know that there's a supply of grain to to malt? Okay, wait, Tor, you you just got a phone call. So, yeah, so let's just let, give us some. My what's embarrassing going on, wait, Tor, What's going on back at the farmhouse? What's going on back did, at the farm? He didn't answer right the now. call, so right he doesn't now. know. So in the in the winter, we're fixing equipment, getting ready. We farm twelve hundred acres, so we have a lot of ground to run over. Uh, so we're fixing on tractors and stuff, and then we're a processor too. So all the grain on my farm, and I buy in grain from other farms, is run through cleaning equipment to get processed to go to places like Valley Malt or flour mills or distilleries to get. So that's sort of an ongoing thing all year long. We're always processing grain. And uh, Jeff, and Tony, Tony Ford is here from Ale Street News too. Jeff, you've, you know, you've traveled a lot, but uh, what are typical like malt facilities like? I mean, where, where were you buying your malt from in the past? Uh, um, before there was local, grain. you know, I've d- I've done business with a with an American maltster called Brees for for a long time uh, through several breweries that I've worked at, and they're in Wisconsin. They're a family owned uh, maltster, and they have a really uh, unique historic uh, location with a, a very old crane elevator. You guys have probably been there, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have this really sort of um, craft, you know, sort of very analogous to what we do in, in small breweries, that very hands on. Um, and then a few blocks away, they have this ultra modern uh, brew house, and it, like it, may, it might be a 500 barrel brew house. It's a really big brew house. That's what it is. Uh, and they do not have any fermentation. It's the oddest thing. It's a standalone brew house. It's like dairy, um, you know, a dairy level of sanitation. It's a re- like they can tr- bring tankers in. They make extracts, malt, malt extracts for all sorts of things. Um, but they're a really interesting mix of the. Uh, the, the art and the and the science of, of malting and and you know the whole spectrum and they and they offer nearly every um, sort of specialty malt that you can think of. Yeah, one of the largest uh, ones I've been in. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, is, Tony, uh, Tony Ford from, from uh, Wall Street. Uh, Bumber Wireman oh, sure. that supplies a lot of the craft brewing industry with specialty malts and. It's like the Willy Wonka of the um, of the of brewing. They have the the yellow and the red uniforms, but they're very efficient and they really do uh, do a good I've, job. I've seen the ad if, if you look at Ale Street News, that you always have an ad from Wireman's, don't you? Yeah, they support and the it's industry. A, it's they a support phone. us. It's like a, a graphic of the factory. Pretty it looks much. like the 19th century. It is. It's very historical. Um, 
uh, Sabine Weirman is descended from you know the founders of, of the uh, the Maltery the Malt the Maltery no the Malt uh, the Malt House, and um, so it was really uh, she made a decision to either you know go with the family business and, or or leave, and she decided with her husband Johan to really take it up a notch and really modernize, and uh, they developed a lot of uh, you know specialty type malts. I'm sure uh, Jeff could yeah. you know, speak They're, to that they more. They make but, wonderful they malt wonderful products. They really do. Christian, so yeah, I'd just like to say something. You know, I mean, specialty malts are only around ten percent of what brewers use, and really, specialty malt market has developed because the malting market has become more of a commodity market, and and they've developed spe- specialty malts to flavor malts because in the old days they didn't have specialty malts; they brewed with the malts they had, and the wood firing or the the way they you know, kiln the malt, that made the flavor. And so, you know, we're talking about specialty malt markets, but really what the craft malting market, I think the goal is in a way is what can we do with our grains without these specialty malts? Because that's what really develops the regional flavors. And by making a malt that has a lot of flavor, we're almost hoping, I mean, I I think this is long-term, but that maybe single malt beers can come back into style per what they were a hundred years ago. Uh, June, I, I want to ask you, I know for the Regional Grains Project, you guys had a list of different traditional grains that you were hoping that brewers would make beers with. What, what are some of the traditional grains that we don't see too often? Well, there's some um, there's some grains that we've been working on through a grant project, um, some of the ancient, they're called the ancient wheat varieties, and those are emmer, spelt, einkorn, and those are some of the older grains that have not gone through the hybridization and modernization that uh, wheat varieties have. Um, and then, but across the board, you know, we've been, you know, looking to definitely help develop, um, anything that our farmers could sell basically that they could grow and sell. So, you know, the Danko rye, I saw on the list, there's a couple of brewers that are going to be working with some of the Danko rye and, you know, rye, even four or five years ago, we did not have much in terms of grain. There was no rye seed, um, being grown not good, not good rye seed yeah yeah um and uh you know oats the barley of course um i've been a big fan of emmer as something that i think is going to have a lot of potential in our region um so we've put a lot of work into trying to educate people about what emmer is and and spelt also i mean those are varieties that that are uh hardy and they have resilience and as we go into more um crazy weirding global weirding some people call it um that we'll be looking for some of these varieties that that can withstand those climate fluctuations um they're not the big yielders like some of the conventional agriculture has been able to produce but we're getting um good nutritional aspects and good you know interesting quality and good culinary aspects to those so if you have if a good grain then my beer is really nutritional Absolutely. Maybe. Dave, <laughs> Vermont, anything going on up there with, with malt or grains or anything? Yeah, there's a All lot of – you know. <clears throat> there's definitely a lot of uh, grain growing up there. I mean, and, and they had a very tough summer too. And, and uh, um, But we've got some uh, a bunch of distilleries opening up, tons of them. Uh, obviously, we have a lot of breweries. And, uh, and a lot of them are trying to – a lot of the distilleries are using local grains, um, particularly Silo I know is using um, someone from just down the road in, in the Windsor area. So uh, it's definitely happening up there. But, I mean, you know, our soil is pretty tough up there, and, and, um, 
and our weather has been pretty tough. And uh, so it's not I remember easy. Reading it's not some on a large old stories scale. about Vermont where it's like people are just stuck in mud in the in the spring when the, the yeah it's hard to plant thawed. in the spring and and in this past summer it just rained almost every single day and so it was it's tough it's very tough. Now th- thanks for coming down, Dave. You, you come down I know once a month to, to New York and check on your blind tiger and. We're looking forward to our event tomorrow. It's going to be good. Super choice. I want to ask Tor a question. Tor, so, okay, if there was one grain you could grow that might be good for beer, what would it be that you're not growing now? Well, I'd like to perfect barley. I to gave it, I you know, we grew some last year for Brooklyn Distilling, a winter variety that, that winter killed pretty bad. And we're going to try some spring barley now and uh, hopefully work on growing. It hasn't been a crop that I grew a lot of because I didn't have a demand for it, but... Uh, you know, obviously, it's an up-and-coming thing, so we're gonna gonna be working on barley. Great, and Jeff, if, if there was a grain that you could make beer with, or your favorite grain to make beer with, or something like that. Well, it's it's barley. You can't do it without barley. Um, it would be great. To, I mean, it would be really great to have a consistent. Um, you know, like I know that that's the juggle is is an inconsistent input. It's hard to uh, make the same thing every time coming out. That's the um, that's sort of. The way that brewers grow is by creating brands that have legs and, and things they can um, rest their laurels on. And do, uh, do you have a like a Massachusetts brewer who has like a flagship style product that's made with something local? It's I was just I did we like just telepathically? <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to say spelt. June brought up spelt, and for three years now I've been trying to get people to want spelt, and it just seems like 2014 is the year of spelt because. I have had so many brewers interested in ordering spelt. And one of our brewers that is a huge supporter of what we do, Jack's Abbey out of Framingham, Massachusetts, they put spelt into Hoponius Union, which is one of their flagship beers. And so they're ordering tote sacks of spelt from us, like on a very regular mm-hmm. basis. So again, this is like building now a demand for spelt, like a good demand for it. So, um, so yeah, there's that. that. Does it come and go fairly consistent? The, oh the, yeah, the product in and out. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, we're getting it from the, the same the farm, the same field. Lakeview, uh, Peter Martin's and Lakeview Class Martin's Lakeview Organic Grain. Yeah, they have a consistent, good supply of spelt. They know what they're doing. They they have a handle on how to grow it, and so even season to season, it's happening. Where how many crops in here? One. Just one. Yeah. So yeah, so that's winter and spring. Okay. How would those go from brewing? Wait, June. Oh, sorry. That I was just asking Tor because there are winter and spring varieties of spelt, so you'll get two grain crops in a year. But would one of those be better for brewing than the other? I have no idea, actually. Yeah, I'm guessing the I'm guessing the uh, winter one because it's probably a little bit lower protein, and that's what you want. This has been the. Deepest we ever went with grains and malts. <laughs> Too deep. And uh, all I'm saying is uh, one thing for, for Dave and I and Jeff, I'll say this. I've enjoyed, uh, and more customers, I think, are asking for beers with more of a malt forward character than hop. And we've had some uh, new uh, Czech lagers. Like from Conrad, they're like 6%. Like, I guess they're pre-communist style. I don't know if you've had anything like that. Or we had the guys from uh, Kulmbacher in last week, and they had like an old Keller-style beer. But remember a few years ago, Stefan Marr from Mars Brauhaus was – we did a tasting at Jimmy's number 43. And he had, we knew he had six beers, and there were some Weiss beers and Bach's. 
And there was one beer that was like it was called the Lichta. It was two point five percent, yet it had a small hoppy ho- hoppy character. And the way he did the, the 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 flight of tastings, I was like totally shocked. It was like, wow, you're starting with the vice beer, then the box, then you're going to the two point five percent licked. And the, and the licked exploded in our mouth because the first three were all malt forward, and then the licked was had a little bit of hops, and it was an interesting experience for me. I don't know about Dave if you've had the. Any feelings about malt and malt forward beers? Oh, I think about malt all the time, Jimmy. <laughs> Especially after this show, I'm gonna be dreaming about it. I know, but we gotta get some more. So I guess we have to have more malt forward beers. And uh, how do we do that, Jeff? Would you ever make a, a a real malty beer without too many hops? We we make a whole range of beers at the Peekskill Brewery, including several really malty ones. Believe it or what, not. What what, what what are they called? Or? Uh, through this winter, we actually had a really nice Baltic porter on called Moscow on the Hudson. Um, we have that at the Blind Tiger next month. That are holding on to one for you. Um, we have a, bulk, uh, a beer called Malt Balls, which is made with an aromatic uh, Munich malt. It has that real toasty uh, malted, you know that that whopper whopper type aroma. Um, we have a beer called Slow and Low, which is a smoked lager that's almost completely about nice. the malt. Um, so it's not always just about hops, you know. Uh, we try to do we you know we try to do something for everybody who comes in comes into our place and and multi beers are a part of that. That's a, one last thing. Tony Forder from Ales Reviews. Tony, first of all, tell us you, you had a special guest who was going to come on the show, but she was late at the airport. Tell us. Yeah, uh, Janine Mewar from uh, Mondial de la Beer up in Montreal. She's down for a couple of days for the beer week, and uh, as happens, you know, especially this winter, her flight was delayed, so uh, she touched down in New York just about when we started the show. So uh, you know, future rain Tony, check. Tell us about a couple check. couple kind of malt forward beers that you like. Well, four beers. Um, let me think a little bit. Um, uh, you kind of caught me off uh, off balance here. Um, let me tell you something about Jim, uh, Jimmy. Let me tell me about something. What you're doing? A little uh, collaboration between Ale Street and Beer Sessions Radio. Our our correspondent Mary Isette, who also has a show here for for Met about it has uh, hung up her pen for Ale Street News, moving on to other things. And I believe uh, Beer Sessions Radio is going to be our correspondent yeah, for New York that, City. I uh, think that Maggie Side, one of our producers, uh, is going to take up that column. Yeah. That's awesome, and thanks for doing that. Cheers to Maggie. She's doing All right, All right Maggie. If you do it at Does Beer underscore that? Sessions, you get Maggie Side and our buddy. All right. So, hey, um, and Beard Ladies, thanks for coming on again. I know you've got... Friday, your Women in Beer event, which is also cool. you got some great women. I mean, Haley Jensen, there's so many great women in beer in New York. You guys are really cool. Um, again, we'll give a shout-out. It's, it's New York City Beer Week. We're in the middle of it, and uh, I'm still going, right? You're and, still going, man. Yeah, and uh, that's all I can say right now. I've been doing this long time. I can't even do my thanks, but thanks again to our sponsor, greatbrewers.com, who helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks, everyone. His name's Chief, Jeff O'Neill, June, everybody tour. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Maggie Seiden and Justin Kennedy, engineer Joe Galarraga. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.